It's time to clip your last good piece and dig in because the runout starts now. Have you heard what climbers are doing in terms of getting vaccines right now? No. They're all going down to St. George, which just so happens to be the perfect conditions for climbing. Mm-hmm. And they're, you know, hanging out at the VRG and all the awesome crags down there. And they're going to these old folks' homes, of which there are many in St. George, and just hanging out. And at the end of the day, they're inevitably left with surplus vaccine. Really? And they're getting vaccinated that way. Yeah. This is a real thing? This is a real thing. I know probably a dozen climbers who have been vaccinated that way. Um, this, isn't, this isn't unethical. Yeah. So No, it's not unethical. No. It's just like, it's just what, what's happening. I mean, those yeah. vaccines would just be thrown away otherwise, exactly. and so they're, but they're just working the system. And so I kind of feel like that's the, the mindset that I'm approaching vaccination right now. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. There, there's, um, there's the old, like study I heard at some point that I think Frontier Airlines did in terms of like who gets to board planes and whether it makes sense to go alphabetically or in terms of, you know, rows or like they've, they've run all these experiments on how to load the plane best. And the system that they came up with is free for all. Like, (laughs) Just get in line and get on the plane and get right. in your seat is the fastest way to get uh, in the on end. the plane. Right. After in all the, the end, studies. Yeah. yeah. And so that's kind of how I think the vaccinations should work now that we have enough to vaccinate everyone. It should I just think be that, free for all. Yeah. I had heard that Colorado was about to actually pull the trigger on that. Yeah. I think I, it's think really I heard close. it from Alias and Osius, who mm-hmm. um, is definitely COVID aware. Um, having a sister who's in, you know, has serious medical medical conditions and stuff. Yeah. Um, is that they're about to pull the trigger on just like, yeah, this is how it's going to work. You know, I just looked the other day and the tier right now we're at the, like, we're at the tier right before me because I'm going to turn 50 in two weeks as we have discussed here on the podcast. And you're basically in an old folks home. I know <laughs> exactly. And so <laughs> the next tier is 50. It, like, 50 years old is the cutoff and I'm I'm 100% certain that's going to be enacted by uh, within by the time I hit my birthday which is on the 25th. So by the time I hit my birthday I'll be I'll be like legitimately el- eligible and I'm going for it like I'm 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 definitely not worried about it at this point. I just want yeah, I just want to feel free. It's yeah, so exactly. weird. It's like we're we're at this place where it's just like I don't know. I'm conscious of mass, but, and yet they're like still just like, they've also just become this part of my life, you know? Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I want to, I want to be, I want to be free. And Steph's been, and your lady too, have all been uh, at least first shot. Has Jen gotten her second one yet? She did. Yeah. And it knocked her on her ass. Oh yeah. Steph told heard, me that. Heard the reports. Yeah. yeah she, yeah. she was like fully just flu symptoms all day mm-hmm. and like had to hang out in bed and, yeah, we're worried yeah, because just, Steph's getting hers on Monday and we leave on our climbing trip on Tuesday. Daddy's going yeah, on a climbing trip. That's news. Tuesday, it's going to be rough for Steph. <laughs> That's all right. She, all she has to do on Wednesday is belay me on my project. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm stoked. Yeah. But yeah, I'm going on a climbing trip 
I'm really stoked though. Nice. Um, yeah, five days. Whoop de doo. That's awesome. <laughs> there's any Are you going, cl- you're going down to Vegas or No, we're not making it to Vegas. We'll be down in St. George as well. So maybe I'll swing by the old folks home and Oh, there you yeah, go. Yeah. They'll probably keep me though. They'll be like, You sir, like, you don't no, you're not allowed at the door. <laughs> Sir, you're not allowed outside the premises. You're like, I don't actually. I don't actually. Here. They're like, uh huh. Yeah, that's what they all say. Now get back in your seat. <laughs> Why are you wearing an assless scrub, sir? <laughs> That'd be awesome. Whatever happened to Cluse? I don't know. He's in prison in a fucking old folks' home in St. George. <laughs> He's hang- hanging out in the pool in St. George with some elderlies. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, but uh but yeah, the climbs really hard though. Yeah. <laughs> hard, best climber in the whole facility. Yeah, I get a week. <laughs> I get a day off a week to go to the VRG. It's fine. Um <laughs> they just bring me down in the short bus and like <laughs> Me and this guy who climbed Everest in like 1959. <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't know We're we're, it's like, I, I mean, where are we with climbing and COVID? It's like, it doesn't really exist. I think within the world of climbing right now. Before we move on from old people jokes, okay. I just want to say something. <laughs> I got tagged in this Facebook post from someone I'm friends with on Facebook, but mm. I actually don't know who this person is, but she tagged me in a post about, you know, wanting to know what it's like to be above middle-aged. And I just thought this is such violence against me. <laughs> I mean, I basically blocked her and reported her to Zuckerberg. Exactly. <laughs> I was like, what delete. is middle age? Middle age is 50. Uh, what does that even mean? I'm not, I'm nowhere near 50, but her, I know her you're not. That's to, what I'm saying. To, seem to think that I was which like, what is, is I'm, just I'm, like, so I'm going to look it up. Talk amongst yourselves. What's middle aged? I think middle-aged is just depends on how long you live. It says 45 <laughs> to 65, according to Wikipedia. Okay. Yeah, so you are not middle-aged. I am decidedly right about to be in the middle of middle-aged. You're in the the golden era. I'm in the golden, golden age of the years. middle age. Yeah. Yep. So, God, what are you, you going to do? Do you have any crises coming up this year, Chris? Uh, I don't know. I think that the thing about middle-aged crises is that I think other people see them. You don't see them. You don't know mm-hmm. you're in a crisis. You you just think that, you know, like buying a Corvette and like getting a bunch of hookers is just normal behavior. <laughs> and it's other people that are like, wait a second. Why do you own a Corvette, Mr. <laughs> 50-year-old guy? Isn't that true, though? Isn't like the Corvette, like yeah. the classic, like but you, you only see wheel. old dudes driving Corvettes now, like period. It's true. Yeah, no, I do Corvette, have a one wheel. Yeah, yes, Corvettes are decidedly out of fashion. But yeah, one but the wheels. thing, the thing about the middle age crisis, it it can be like this, and I think the Corvette is like this throwback to when you were young, right? I think mm-hmm. that's why a fifty five. I mean, Corvettes are so out that I bet you fifty year olds even aren't even buying them. But but um, it's like Harley Davidson with with they're having this whole crisis where they're all their constituents are dying. Like no young people buy Harley Davidsons. Oh, that's so interesting. But I think it's a th- like you're trying to regain the way things were when you were younger, when Corvettes were cool, right? That's mm-hmm. why someone you know older buys a Corvette because they had a Corvette when they were like seventeen or whatever. So that's I'm going to defend the one wheel against that. 
Um, the one wheel was the future, looking to the future. And I'm just going to start gonna... like Michael Jackson and to wear like one glove on my hand. <laughs> that would be amazing. God. Sparkly bedazzled jackets. That would be 100% for me. Because, um, God, Thriller came out when I was in seventh grade. I can tell you that for sure because, um, because 1984 by Van Halen came out when I was in eighth grade. So I was in eighth grade in 84, and Thriller came out in 83. So, and I, mean, I know Michael this. Jackson was like the first cool thing that I knew. Yeah. Like, if, if I was bad as a child, my, my bad tape would get taken away from me. And Ooh, bad. It, yeah. Yeah. Post Thriller. Yeah. I loved bad. <laughs> um i was like five years old too (laughs) (laughs) yeah i don't know i don't see any crises crises coming up for me you know i'm 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 still hanging on so we'll see how the climbing year goes that that i think whatever crises happens it's gonna have to do with that it's gonna have to Mm -hmm. do with the inevitable decline but no i feel pretty good i don't know i'm not that worried about it so I started writing this article today for Evening Sense, and I'm not sure I'm, it's going anywhere, but maybe we could talk through my thesis. Okay. Um, I had this idea about whether it's more fun, whether climbing is more fun if you're a Zoomer, like Gen Z. Um, and I was just thinking about, like, I know we like to rip on, like, this younger generation who've got sprinter vans and you know, all the information for all the crags everywhere and tons of partners and more or less gender parity. So, you know, it's like, it's just like an open, free, great time to be utopia. a climber. And it's a climbing it's like utopia. Kind of, it is kind of a utopia. And yes. like we rip on it because it doesn't have this like hardship right. element to it that the we The struggle, as we spoke of last time. Yeah. It's missing the struggle. The struggle is being smoothed over. Any but ripple I, I just, is being smoothed. I just wonder if I would have, you know, had more, I don't know if I, I just think it, I just try to imagine myself in that situation. If I were in a sprinter van instead of a Nissan Sentra and if there were, you know, partners to like climb with instead of like random wackos, you know, from the dregs of like Barstow, California, like hanging out by the camp for, you know, like, yeah, you know what I mean? The dregs of Barstow is an oxymoron, sir. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. Sorry, do we have listeners in Barstow? You know what I'm talking about. Probably not. If we do, you know what I'm talking about. I don't think they have internet there. (laughs) Um. But anyway, that's like that's kind of like where I was started going with this idea is like this thing that you and I and our you know cadre of class of climber or mm-hmm, generation of mm-hmm. climber like to rip on. Would it isn't it actually like the best time to be a climber right now if you're of that age and and in that situation? Yes, I mean it's like all things are open to you. It, it, mm-hmm. It's it's I mean it's easier, like you said, it's easier to be a climber now. Everything. Everything seems easier, but, you know, I would say, you know, going back, I was just joking about the struggle is that I think that the, the generation should be wary a little bit of that, you know, because I just mentioned the word utopia and I'm a big fan of, uh, of utopian and dystopian science fiction. Yeah. So that's my guilty pleasure is like, I'm a big deep sci-fi fan and, all sci-fi is uh, at some level sort of utopian or dystopian and and a lot of sci-fi dystopia involves that involves where 
the world has gotten so easy and so mellow and taking care of every one of your creature comforts that it's basically like destroyed the human spirit. I mean, even Wally, right? The, the, the Pixar Disney movie was it Disney mm-hmm. or Pixar, but that, that was the premise of that, you know, this kid's movie of like, if everything is too easy and too soft, you know, it destroys the human spirit. So mm-hmm. that, that, that would be, you know, and maybe that's just the crust, but that would be the, the fear. And, and maybe why we push back against it is this idea of, you know, the struggle, the human spirit, like let, let's keep it alive. I I want to like agree with that, but I'm, I'm because I'm writing this article. That's like this controversial take. I, th- I feel like my what I would argue is perhaps that you know the struggle is always going to be found on the rock. Like that's right. not changing, and you're well, all you're essentially doing is removing the parts of the struggle that actually don't mean anything mm-hmm. unless you think they do. Like you know, a bad night of sleep in the back of a Tacoma. Exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah. Versus a luxurious night of sleep on an actual mattress in a sprinter van. Right. Versus a piece of foam in the bag of a a clammy fucking Tacoma. Can't can't you experience the struggle that that really matters while getting rid of the the, those elements that don't? I agree with that. I mean, it it seems like a. I mean, it's a fun premise to sort of play with for sure. I will say that there's increasingly less, you, like you meet less oddballs. I think that's maybe one um, result of of like a comf- more comfortable way of existing as a dirtbag is that, you know, like more, most of the people you meet are like pretty normal, right. kind of middle classy, upper middle classy people who, you know, are just kind of like all the liberal type of things and you know like good food and hippie culture and mountains and music and whatever right yeah the climbing and the all of climbing is boulderized it's a little yeah it's a little yeah. gentrified it's yeah. a little yeah boulderized not balderized but boulderized <laughs> i mean maybe that is the loss is you meet fewer like chongos or you meet fewer just out of out to lunch folks who are you know, part of the climbing world sort of because no, nowhere else in the world could take them as as one of their own. I mean, is it just a matter of dilution, though? Like, we, I, a long time ago, we made a joke, or I can't remember what it was, but it was something about, like, that there's still people living in their freaking Camrys. You just can't see them because they're, they're blocked out by all the Sprinter vans. <laughs> like, literally, you know? Like, when you pull into Rifle and... You think there's a spot and you, you go to turn in and it's just because a Camry or some little car was stuck between like six sprayer right. vans. You thought it was open. Yeah. I mean, literally like, you know, are, are those guys still there, but they're just, they're just, out, they're like more on the fringes because the fringe is further away, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You, if you have 20 random encounters in camp four in, in the olden times, like the third one was some crazy person. Mm-hmm. But now it's like maybe the nineteenth is the crazy person, but it's because there's twenty times more people there, you know. Like we call crazy like, people from Camp Four Barstow chic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know? And, and you know, but but they have. I mean, I think like literally they have been pushed further to the fringes because things have tightened up. You know, like yeah. I don't know. I mean, do you still sleep in line in the morning at Camp Four? Are they? gotten rid of that is it all online like do you know do you know what i mean like 
when stuff like Camp Four's kind of social hierarchy starts to fall apart, then where do those people go? How, mm-hmm. how do they exist when you can't just wait in line at 3.30 in the morning in your sleeping bag, but you have to go somewhere and get online on your phone to, to like make a reservation or something like that? You know what I mean? Right. I, I, I'm just saying, are they still forced, out there? They're just lost in the, or in you're the not, fray. You're not forced to like spend a night in the boulders illegally to like, you know, make your 14 day stay legit, you know, right, and right. then you have to be in, in line at 3am the next morning. Right. Like you, I you mean, just go somewhere else that's comfy. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is that we, we kind of like, you know, we talk about this influence of climbing gyms on everything and you know, it's like, you're just probably not going to meet as many of those people in the climbing gym because they're mm-hmm. not, that's not what climbing is for them. And they're not going to spend the money or, or find that interesting at all. So it's like, I don't know if you still like crept out into the farthest reaches of the desert, if you were like to post up at Cochise stronghold for three weeks, I don't know. I think you'd still meet some of these people that are out there. I mean, it's not just like the camping arrangements or the sprinter vans. It's like, you know, I don't know, just being like a a young person who's single, you know, a single guy who wants to like meet a, a nice lady at some point in his life. You know, the the idea that you would do that climbing was so beyond like the pale at that point for mm-hmm. me. It just seemed like this was like the worst way to do that. You know, <laughs> ironically, I did meet my my wife climbing, but true. Um, me too. Yeah. But so I wasn't, it, but, I mean, I was in my late thirties so, or no, I was even, I know. Sorry. Excuse me. I was in my early forties when that happened. So it just yeah, but going back to like your twenties when you're, yeah. When you're primed. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's not the case like that anymore. I mean, it's like fairly, you know, it's kind of like a dating scene. Like there's mm-hmm. lots of, there's lots of people who are coupled up and lots of single people as well. And, and mm-hmm. that's kind of just like the normal scene at the crags these days, but just wasn't like that, you know, yeah, no, it wasn't. years ago. Yeah. Do I ever, I ever talk to you about the perimeter defense in, in like Indian Creek? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Where you'd be like walking, you know, like a lot of the campgrounds there are loops, right? And this would probably apply to anywhere, but you'd be like, like walking along and you'd see some gal and you'd kind of like saunter towards the, the, the campsite and all of a sudden some dude would kind of come out and sort of meet you at the perimeter like where he hadn't left the road yet onto the campsite and just be like hey what's up you know just to like let everybody know that this like zone was sort of off limits to to, to rando like pisses you know. a giant circle yeah, around his totally. campsite yeah absolutely yeah, yeah i mean and like you know it, it's hard to remember but it, it was completely like uh especially if you were out you know Big Mountain, I mean, HK used to talk about this all the time. Like, if you're out Big Mountain climbing or trad climbing, like, it was a 10 to 1 ratio if you were lucky. You right. Know? It was it was crazy. And, you know, and, and that's like, I don't know if we're, we're bordering into sort of sexism, but it's just the way it was. Like, um, you know, we didn't like it like that. No, um, I hated it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's what I'm saying. It was like so miserable. It was like, why? It's funny because I, everybody's like, everybody's always like, yeah, it was such a boys club. And it was like, it, it wasn't exactly like something we we all agreed upon or anything. It wasn't like we all decided that's the way it was going to be. You know, <laughs> like we were like, oh, wait, oh. no, this is a boys club. Excuse oh, wait, me, there's ma'am. a woman here. We can't yeah. spank each other with yeah. paddles in our robes at night now. <laughs> 
You know, it was like, yeah, I mean, it was probably a daunting experience to walk into that boys club, but it's all, all, it's only because we were all socially fucking inept. Like yeah. we didn't know what to do. So we just kept broing. Like if, 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 you know, some girl showed up to the campfire, we didn't know what to do besides just bro harder than what we were already broing, you know? Well, Which she was, showed I'm up sure to the campfire. She was off. almost inevitably with, a. Uh, with her boyfriend. I mean, like with there's one just of our so, bros. <laughs> yeah. With one of the bros. So yeah, it was just like very few single ladies at the time. That's what I'm getting at. It's just yeah. felt like a dismal way to spend your, you know, your most, the vir- most virile part of your life is like being a dirtbag climber. It was yeah, just for sure. like a, a miserable prospect. You know, that's how I met Steph Forte. Do tell. Do tell the Steph Forte that, you know, a, a sort of venerable Vegas climber, um, sort of world sport climber um mm-hmm. when she was like uh uh you know she was moving i think she was moving west with a friend of hers and they had all their shit in a jeep and we met them there used to be this overflow camping out um in vegas uh what's that blue diamond is that what it's called it's over by blue diamond mm-hmm. um it's all been closed down but it was like yeah if you couldn't find any camping in the in the actual red rocks you could go over there and me and a buddy were out there and we spent this evening like chatting with them and just like, we couldn't believe our luck. We had like ended up at this campfire. They happened to be camping there. We were camping there. It was like two chicks traveling together. We were two dudes, you know, that was it. Like that was the end of the story. And the next morning we got up to go, um, get up early to go do something like levitation or something like that. And we saw Steph Forte running and, you know, we drove by in our van. We're like, hey, nice to meet you. And, like, you know, just, like, talked the rest of the day about how rad those girls were that we'd met, that they're out on the road together and everything else. And then literally, like, I don't know, a decade later, I meet Steph Forte. And I'm like, hey, do you remember that time that we were camped out there? And she was like, oh, my God, I totally remember that. But it was such this special experience that, like, it got seared into my brain. Just this idea of, like, these two women on the road together. It was so unusual. I mean, like I said, it's it's hard to kind of like talk about it without sounding like we're we're being sort of sexist, but it w- it was really unusual. Yeah, to just meet two girls out climbing together. Well, on it's the so, road, like and road Steph tripping. has and Steph has such an interesting perspective on that whole discussion of like you know the changing nature of of the the female climber in the climbing mm-hmm. world. Yeah, because she lived through it. She lived through it, yeah. yeah. And it's so valuable to hear what she has to say. So she definitely yeah. follows Steph Forte on social media and hear what she has to say about this stuff. Because she's yeah. often she does often talk about it. Yeah. Um you know, like post post, you know, photos of her magazine covers or whatever from the nineties. And yeah, it's cool to see. Just, you know, thank your lucky stars, Gen Z. <laughs> I mean, seriously, it's like a fun time, fun ass time to be a climber in my opinion. But let us know if what we're missing and what sucks about your life. Dave Graham is such a prolific rock climber that he hardly needs an introduction. Having focused exclusively on bouldering for the past decade, he now lives in Spain with his wife, Alize Dufres, and is currently sport climbing at a 9B level. Yeah, that's a little better. No, I feel like we can like, speak properly. Yeah, the other ones are like super noise canceling, and it's like when you're on sure. an airplane and you're like, "What?" 
Yeah, okay, I want a drink. And they're like, it's cool, sir. You need to take your Bose heads off. Headphones. Yeah, they're so used to it. They're just like, oh, God, these people. Yeah, they're like, another, just another thing. What, it's two second millionth person this year that's right. Bosed me, you know? Like, Yelled at me about their drink. Um, yeah, I got this on yeah. my hotspot because it's only a reliable internet. We've been learning that with these right. telemeetings and it doesn't happen with the Wi-Fi, so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's all part of the whole Spanish thing you were just talking about. I know um, it's early, but, you know, I have guys, these... but I have a glass of wine, so Perfect. I'm on, I'm on that's, that level. <laughs> it's a long That's day. what we like, actually. Um, <laughs> I just had to drink I... another cup of coffee, so nice. hopefully yeah. I'm on the yeah, level, too. Yeah, it's only too. noon here. Yeah. We'll, ba- we'll um, balance out. I rested at the crag today, which is like makes me real hyped up, so I'm trying to like, okay. tone it down. I've been talking everybody's ear off all day, like, <laughs> They're probably all like, fuck, dude. They're like, take your headphones off. Dude. <laughs> exactly. They're like, dude, we're outdoors. Like, <laughs> it's okay. What? Let's listen to the birds. These are noise canceling. <laughs> These are really cool noise canceling. They're like, yeah, we can hear you, Dave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, For sure. What I was going to say is that I have some friends that tried to emigrate to France, and they got so fed up with it, and they had been living there for years on visas and stuff. And they actually had oh, a wow. business or pay like, and they wanted to make this business, which was kind of based in the States, but they're running it over there. Like they wanted to make it legit. They were like, Hey France, like we want to like pay you taxes and like do Sounds a business in like there. Nightmare. Like, yeah. Uh, and they were yeah, just yeah. like, I, oh, can't, no, I no, no, can't imagine no, no, what no. they went through. Yeah. Like the trauma. So they basically, <laughs> yeah, they were at the, um, working with their immigration lawyer and they were like, well, what about Spain? It's so much easier. So they actually, instead, they moved to Spain, and now they've been there for, for years, uh, living in Girona and Barcelona. So that's funny. Um, you really just tapped yeah. into the subject of like how we came to be here and why we're here. Yeah. Like I could tell yeah. you from the beginning to the end, but it'll touch right into that because uh, uh-huh. that's the deal. Uh, it's like France. I mean, imagine with COVID, right? You'd think that they would right. be more lenient. Instead, they were like, "Nah, dude, you need to go back to your home country and go to your embassy." Right. To do these papers, and I was like, "The embassy's closed. The airports are closed. We cannot, by law, travel. Like we are confined to our house. Right? Can we not do it over the internet?" And they're like, "Nope. You're you. No. We cannot um, find a solution for it. We, we called every embassy, uh, consulate, visa lawyers, every single thing you could think of, and um, mm-hmm. they stonewalled us real hard. They're just like you." Will not pass. And I was just like, right. <laughs> we will not pass. And then, and then we were like, talk to all our foreign friends here. And we're all like, obviously not Spanish. And they're like, dude, I got a lawyer. And then they're all like, had the same lawyer. They're like, you got Julio. He's your, who's your lawyer? Julio. Oh, yeah. Julio did mine. And everybody's like, yeah, dude, you just do the residence. And then they're like, you guys married? Because if you're not, you're fucked. And you're like, no, we just got married. And they're like, oh, yeah, you're just, just like, no problem. You're in the game. Like, we were just like, really? And they're like, it'll cost some money, but they'll take forever. We're just like, okay. And then we started down the process. And it was like, mm-hmm. at first, real daunting because we had to get all these papers and it was super complicated. Like, it, it felt overwhelming at the start. A lot of tra- like translation of documents and stuff like that it was just like nightmarish. But it, compared to France, which, you know, like I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but like in France, it's like a long-term process. 
Here, mm -hmm. you just submit all the documents, and then from the moment you submit them, you're you're technically legal until they either decline or accept. So it buys you a lot of time because it takes forever. Right. And then once they right. accept you, you're just kind of, it's like your choice if you want to go travel in Europe and running into the cops like without the proper papers or not. And that during COVID time, we decided it was not a good idea. And we weren't super comfortable with it either. It was just like, and we didn't know when we'd have to come back to get the visa in the case that we needed to go to the appointments that they would give us where we had to like show up at the police station in person, which there's only two of. It seemed real simple. And then there's no follow-up. You get like a five-year visa. And then all you have to do is mm -hmm. renew that visa. And then you can have 10 years or something like that. And then I think you can, or you get another five years, and then you get the passport. And in nice. France, it's like, you have to do, it's like, first you get married, right? I think that's like already a big step. But then it's like, you need to go, this is my normal plan. This is like what I was supposed to do instead of COVID happened. Um, you're supposed to fly back to your country to do all these documents and stuff at the nearest consulate, um, which mine was either Chicago or LA. So I chose LA because I could go like look for crystals and hang in Bishop while I waited for a month for the whole thing to work out. It's like, you need to have mm -hmm. apparently like a lot of money to hang out by the, the consulate for a month and waiting for your like theoretical appointments and you need to show up and do this shit. So it's like, not only do you have to pay for the flight, the, the, the hotel and all that jazz and get your ass over there if you don't live there, it's like Chicago or LA, but you need to be present for about a month in order to like finish all the documents you need to do. And then you need to fly back to France and then do documentation there. And then you have to return every year and they like test you, like test your French knowledge about French culture, ask questions about if you're really married, like interrogate you and try to see if your French is good enough to be operable in the country of France. So it's like this gauntlet. And from the people that I've talked to, it's super traumatic. Like it's traumatizing and like, it's not funny. It's not fun. No one's <laughs> nice to you. And um, then they do that another, I do think they do that again. And then after five years, you think you get your passport. But it seems right. like the kind of thing I don't want anything to do with. So it's yeah. kind of like in the chaos of it all, we ended up with this much more simple Spanish equation, which exactly works yeah. out with my vibe a lot better. I'm like, mm -hmm. I those, they stress <laughs> me with their bureaucracy and uh, this like, you know, I speak French. I've spoke for about 20 years now, but I still think they would fail me probably if they wanted. Right. Like, yeah, you, you said that a little wrong. And, and can you write that what last piece? And you'd be like, dude, please. Like no one just talks like that anymore. Like it's, it's just like a, like I understand what it must be like for immigrants coming to America. This whole vetting yeah, yeah. process is real. Mm -hmm. Like, and in France, it's a lot more serious. And in Spain, it is so chill i was so i had my police appointment which was traumatizing because it's like the first time for me in a big city since covid really happened where i had to do something like remarkably the passport photo where i had to like remove my mask and like take the photo which was super awkward because like in spain you don't take the mask off it's like you're basically convinced every single indoor area has plenty of covid flying around it you're just like <laughs> it's always like covid's going off you know here it's like doesn't really and even though everybody wears a mask, seemingly COVID's everywhere. So I had to like go to the bank and go to like the police station and a passport photo thing and do that whole nine yards. And, and man, they were just so nice to me. Apart from when like mm. went in mm. the police station to ask a question, they're like, you need to get back out. You just crossed in. You need to stay out. And I was like, okay, I just have a question. And they're like, oh, okay, chill. <laughs> They're super chill, super nice. I was so stressed. I was like, here's my documents. Like, I hope everything's okay. Like, 
you know, we've been here for like a year waiting for this moment. Like, you think that'll be good and they'll accept it? And they're like, yeah, dude, the fuck are you talking about? It's fine. Like, everything's fine, man. Like, all we have to do is take your fingerprints. I'm like, I'm a climber. And they told me they might not work. And they're like, it's fine, dude. Your fingerprints will be fine. I was like, okay. And then they're like, I, you know, so, so I was like, I love your, I, I love your, uh, your, your bouldering videos, but the actual Dave Graham video I want to see is this day. I, 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 I wish someone had documented every moment of well, it. That day goes farther back because that was two days after it snowed. Right. So they had this like torrential right. snowstorm. Right. It's like, and yeah. our car is not good in the snow. And our car was like fused into the ice in the street which they, and plowed in. And basically the appointment was in the morning and it was probably like negative five degrees. This is all frozen to shit. And it was really bad, the road to go there. And uh, the guy who lives above us was just like, you're not driving with your car there. You're going to die. You should take my car. No, it was, like, it was a Volvo. And I was like, really? And he's like, you can take my car. I was just like, thank you, man. Because we waited like a year for this day. And this is our chance here to get the, the documents in and all that shit, you know, and, and Alize was supposed to come with me and she was like, but what will we do with Mishka, the dog? Like, we can't figure it out. And I was like, look, I have to go alone. So I, you know, I was like, okay, here we go. Drove alone, main stop, Mainer style, like past the coal, you know, it's real sketch. It's just like, ooh, glad I'm in the Volvo. Like, because I would not make it with the McGain car. Our car doesn't have snow tires. It for sure wouldn't have summited the pass. And then like went over the ridge and like descended and realized there wasn't any snow over there. And I had... I was really worried I was going to go through this like winter storm and it was just like the beach, you know, it was like summer there. I was just like, oh, wow, it's beautiful over here. It's all dry. And then that had this epic parking it was supposed to meet my lawyer there, but he was like, didn't a lot of mention that he wasn't going to be there that day. And I had to do everything that he was supposed to guide me through alone, which is like a crash course in Spanish Catalan like language, which no one deserves. It was just like, had to roll up on the office and this lady's like, wah, 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 but like kind of telling me basically like more or less what I need to do. She's like, you need to go to the bank and do this stuff with the machine. And, and then you need to go find the police station. And I'm just like, I got 13 minutes till my appointment and I need to go to the bank and fuck around with this machine. And then I need to go find the police station. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, I don't have a photo. He didn't mention the photo thing. Probably need a passport picture. So it's like, I just kicked it into hyperdrive and like started sprinting around like, double masks, just like my gel in my hand, like, ah, oh. it was like right in the middle of this like outbreak where they're just like, you're not even allowed to travel. It was like the numbers were the highest they've been like, what? Like there's like 50,000 cases a day or something. And it was like that place is like the red zone. It was like the place you're not supposed to be going around. It was just bustling. And I was like, oh man, like, so I'm like in the bank and they're like, yeah, basically you need to take that document you have and insert all those numbers and letters into the machine and it's really hard to do but we're not allowed to tell you how to do it you got to figure it out and i was just like okay so i'm like messing around with this machine the atm basically for a really long time i cracked the code you know i get it all in i get my receipt i had to pay like seven euro or something to the government so i had to do that and it had to be like an exact change so like earlier in the morning i'd like gotten money out which cost me 10 bucks and like got it changed it's like all in this chaos of you know trying to make this appointment and with the snow and all that. And then like, yeah, then I couldn't find the police station. I kept calling the lawyer. I get him on the phone. He's like, dude, you need to chill. Don't stress. Like it's like in seven minutes. And did you get your picture? I was like, dude, no, I don't have a Why didn't you tell me I need the picture? He's like, 
I'm just telling him you just need to get the picture. It'll be fine. So I'm like, oh, in my country, it's not fine. The appointment's at 1230. It's at 1230. You know, I'm like, so I'm like, it's like 1224. I'm like running through this square. I figure it out where it is on my map. You know, I'm just like, right on. There it is. And then that's when I crossed the line into the police station that yelled at me, told me to get back. It's like all these African guys next to me. I'm like, oh, man, it's the first time I've seen anybody from Africa in a while. I was like, what's up, everybody? I'm like, am I the only white dude getting a visa here in Spain? I was like, this, poor, this is what everybody has to do. I get yelled by the police and shit. I was like, run over the passport place. That's what I had to do the photo, but take my mask off. There's like 20 people in there. It's a very small area. It's stressful to get the picture. Picture looks all crazy. I'm just like, you know, go back. I'm like, oh, man, this could be my visa for my life. You know, it's all fucked. And then, like, get in there. You got to, like, do the security stuff. And they're all, like, they're, like, calm down, man. Like, you're in. Like, you're fine. You're not going to miss it. And then the dude was just laughing the whole time. He's, like, how was your drive today? And I was, like, man, it it was terrible. He's, like, yeah, we haven't had a storm like that in, like, 100 years. Crazy, huh? I was, like, yeah. Crazy, dude. We're not going to climb for, like, a month. And, yeah, we did it. It's fucked. Snowed, like, four feet. Um. (laughs) <laughs> good shit huh? that is good shit i'm like chris i'm like chris though i uh who um is enthralled with your uh visa application video that you would like to see produced i, I actually want to talk about your climbing as well oh, yeah. um but i just want to take a step back for a second to just say two things which the first one is in my experience the harder you climb generally the harder it is to make plans to to meet yeah. up or do anything. So I'm just impressed that we, that we finally got this podcast on the books and you were so quick uh, yesterday with agreeing to do this, given your, you know, your curricula vitae as a climber who would suggest that this would never happen. Um, and then the other thing is that I just want to say that I'm such a big fan of your whole career as a climber. And I think you're just one of the most interesting and unique voices that we have in this sport. And I love that there's no one like you in climbing and for better and worse, I would say. <laughs> so I wanted to just take that step back to just say you've been climbing forever. You've, you've brought this unique vision, unique, unique voice to the sport. How are you still psyched on climbing after all these years? Well, well, first, thank you, Andrew, uh, for the kind words, because that goes a long way, especially kind of amidst the topic you're talking about of like trying to find a moment. And um I don't know how to describe this. Like, it's really easy to get into your own head, I think, as a climber and lose sight of anything positive sometimes, especially when you battle with your own kind of demons in terms of like trying to figure out where you're at, if you're actually doing something good or if people value that or they even care to hear about that or anything. So what you just said, like, even kind of it's like I haven't had a lot of reassuring things said to me in a long time, but that that makes me happy to hear that. I, I appreciate it. Like, it's it means a lot to feel appreciated by by someone and especially someone like yourself who I've also really enjoyed your work over all the years and enjoyed climbing with you as well and being a friend but man like we lived in a campground from confinement onwards we were just living in campgrounds with no internet eventually I got my phone to get data and I kind of reconnected and when you first hit me up I was like we couldn't even like send a we transfer like a gigabyte. I was just like we couldn't do anything. We couldn't watch Netflix. It was basically like I was like God, I would love to do this, but this is never going to happen. It was just like 
as if the world had fallen apart. We were living in like another place. Like it's almost like we we're in South Africa or something. We were just in Spain, but we really didn't have that like thing we're all used to. This like ability to just do what we want and when. And then um, as I got caught up in the chaos of trying hard and trying to do something hard amidst the, a tricky weather season, time flies. And I, I hadn't thought about it a lot. And then uh, Alize has been doing a live Instagram, which was like a an interesting thing for us to try and accomplish, like with our internet and our computer that's broken. And all we have all these broken things here in Spain. And, and um, it's actually a big accomplishment that we could do this. And the fact that it took that long kind of says something about what has been happening here, at least for me. And uh, yesterday when she was doing her live and I got your message, my first instinct was just like, we need to get this, jump on this now. And and as today, I'm resting because literally the next week's going to be like, I'm where to go for it. Try and it's the first time the weather's changed to good for maybe two, three months. So it's time to really try hard and it's not going to be easy. It's going to be like late days and they're going to be exhausting, but um, this seemed like the perfect opportunity. Yeah. I appreciated your note that you were going to rest specifically. So you'd be fired up for this interview on our yeah. podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right I am. I am fired Appreciate up. It. I'm very fired yeah, up. Clearly, clearly. <laughs> and, and yeah, to like pull it back around to, uh, to respond to your question, basically. Uh, um, actually, hold on. We have to let this Husky in. He's going to make noise. These things, he jumps at the window, and tries to like break it to get in. Sorry, there he goes. Oh, <laughs> there he is. Hey, puppy. So, the question was like, how do I stay psyched after all these years? That's like a like an, a, re- a renewable question or philosophy almost every day. And I think I like come up with a new interpretation of it almost every day. And uh, I admit that it's still a learning process to me, this whole thing. I have, this year specifically has uh, been such a challenge for me actually as a climber because it it kind of flip-flopped everything on me. Like it took away all my normal liberties, kind of like every chance I have to face something in my career as a climber. I have this opportunity that I can run away from it. And this year, that ceased to be a reality. There was no more changing plans and doing something else. There was no kind of like finding an excuse and backing out. It was like I was confronted with actually a different form of climbing than I'd ever experienced. It was staying in one place with the same discipline and doing the same thing, which which really tackled my motivation. Like it was definitely hard for me because uh, in the in the past, uh, my answer to that question would be like, well, change is what keeps me going. The fact that I can just go to a new country and do the same thing, everything changes. I'm, I'm inspired by that change. Every time I change things around me, I feel inspired again by the world and it all feels new. And, and the more time I stay somewhere, I kind of feel like I, I put blinders on to a lot of elements of it and I see very smaller aspects of it and appreciate it in a very maybe more intense way but less open and um in my 20 years of being a professional climber i've literally traveled almost all of them the entire year just because it it was how i maintained that momentum uh that motivation was always fueled as well by this newness you know everything i mean you remember the crazy countries we've been to andrew and where we've ended up crossing paths and like 
the experiences we had there and the bonds that we make at those different environments and then like returning to our extremely privileged, wealthy Colorado kind of bubble, you know, and then going back out into these wild places. It, it's kind of fascinating, but it's easy to always um, kind of keep moving and keep staying excited because every time you get bored with what you're looking at, you can go find something else. However, this year I learned something else about myself and that the motivation I think comes from somewhere else actually. Maybe in the past I've used change to help me not confront this, but this year I, I went much deeper down the rabbit hole in terms of understanding my motivation because especially once it hits summer here in Spain, I haven't I mean I haven't lived through a summer in a real long time. I avoid summer like the plague. I'm from Maine. Summer there is pretty mild, you know. Yeah, and, what uh, you what you just said, Dave, is interesting because the there's there is this aspect of travel which allows you this shortcut to having this sense of newness and you know just like engagement that you don't really have at home. When you're traveling, you know, just going anywhere is kind of an adventure. And oftentimes when you're stuck in one place at home, you know, there are places close to my house that everyone talks about and says I should go to and I never do or I just haven't yet, you know, because mm -hmm. it just I don't know, you don't have that same mindset. Yeah. when you're when you're in one place and so it kind of forces this yeah to your point about just it being challenging you know there it maybe forces some introspection and and that question of like why are you doing what you're doing becomes like rises to the surface whereas if you're traveling all the time you can kind of avoid that yeah i could talk for hours about just this one subject because it's kind of like what i'm dealing with on a daily level but uh I've never had a home, you know, since I was in Maine. Like I never really had like a proper home where I would never experience such thing actually like to, to go back home and then stay there for a long time and have that, that perspective to bounce it with. So this is almost like we have a home for the first time and it happens to be Catalonia and Spain. And that's the weirdest thing to adjust to. And, and it seems really odd, but it's like uh, to complain about this being home is hard to do like I don't want to because it's I think many people's dream would be to live here and it's been mine in the past and to have a hard time with your motivation when you're kind of in one of your dream destinations for all the time you wanted to I think that's where it brought up some interesting questions about the motivation and I learned a lot where are you exactly we're in Cornudea de Monsant okay cool yeah and uh, we were in Rodear how close to the bell summer. are you not not close, thankfully. Real far. <laughs> I spent a couple winters next to that bell, and, and I yeah. think it gave me some gray hair. That bell. Um, every well, 15 let me, minutes. Uh, right. I, I, I was just curious if you were in Cornadea or not. Yeah, it's interesting about what you guys are talking about with travel, because I always am fascinated by how when you're somewhere else and it's new and feels exotic to you. First of all, you know, it's funny because it's like, oh, look at that old man over there. You know, kind of thing like in Cornadea, you mm -hmm. know, it's like, look at those old men over there. Mm -hmm. Like, how cool is that? And it's yeah. like, those guys, you know, they're just, you know, they would look back at you like, why do you why think do you this think is interesting? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and I would see an old guy here in Carbondale and just be like, eh. you know, it's like this weird lens you put on. I mean, even like going to shop for, uh, I have endless stories about yeah. shopping there in Cornadea and like, you know, interacting with these like super grumpy Catalan, like, yeah. Shop owners, oh, you know, yeah. and, and I think it's funny and I have these stories about like these weird interactions and, oh, yeah. you know, the same thing I would find absolutely annoying here in at home, like the exact same like 
interaction, I would leave the store like, yeah, well, fuck that guy, like, For you sure. know, or whatever. Oh, yeah, I'm like, I'm never going back to that store. Yeah. And here, and then when you're in somewhere else, you're like, oh, that was this fascinating cultural experience that I just had. So it's like, For sure. it's a drug that like feeds you because of those, you know, everything is like so interesting and cool. So it's so yeah. weird being like an enthusiastic American person who speaks Spanish in these shops mm-hmm. and to talk yeah. to them every day because you hit a right. point where you're like, should I shut up? Do they want to hear about my day? Because where I'm from, you just talk, but maybe here they don't. And it's like it gives you all these. You, you trip out because like some of them are like they don't they don't do not want to have a conversation. It's like saying they don't even speak Spanish to you. They speak in Catalan. And you're like Catalan, right? And you're like okay, because that that's cool. Because you I can't speak a lot of Catalan, so it cuts me off real quick. So I'm just like yeah, they don't. It's like later, like thank you. Yeah, but and they're very like they're very. Yeah. It's a very blank kind of affect i think a lot of times that the catalan like the gruff like you know we're i'm not going to sell you cheese unless you like are yeah. you know it's like <laughs> it's pretty wild so so that element of it is is very yeah. fascinating because that's like what we've we've learned to live with and that um mm-hmm. has become daily life and and it's rejuvenated me in in a way that i never would have expected actually which is very odd to say because like my biggest qualm and I think the thing that upset me the most living in Colorado was that like, for instance, at the coffee shop I would go to for like 10 years, they didn't know my name. And I know their name for like 10 years because they have it on right. the thing, but they still act like they don't know me every time I see them. And I've known them for 10 years. And, and here it's like, I feel like I've known these people for 10 years after one, you know, and they know my name right. and I know their name and we chat when it's necessary. If it's not like whatever, if you're having a good day or a bad day, you're not, there's no requisite for what you're supposed to do, but it's so much more human. And it, it killed me after living in between Europe and America. Every time I came back to America, it just like broke my heart. This like thing that's missing in our country that where people are kind and like take this moment to like, acknowledge you and even if it's a small place because i live in these small towns in colorado and it's like like up in netherland and stuff it's like there's not that many people that live up there it's like there's right. no reason to really be like oh yeah what's your name again bro and you're just like dude bro <laughs> bro like let me don't even get me started bro like i don't know what to say to you dude like remember like three years ago we had that conversation when you broke up with your girlfriend bro like and remember when you moved back from carbondale bro and you're like it's like you know i know there's stories like this can't it's like it's just this like thing going on like it's different so here it's right right. here here there is this kind of something from the past that's Mm -hmm. old that's like real ancient Mm -hmm. that like doesn't exist in countries like america i don't think because america is such a new country and Mm -hmm. and um it's i feel like if you're an american and you come here and you try and install it's like you're moving way too fast for the place it's like you have to like synchronize slow it way way down and once you kind of like hit that pace, it's like you start, it all starts to make sense, mm-hmm. which is very odd because I've been coming here since 2003, you know, it's like a place I've visited for many, many, many years and stayed always for about three months. And I don't think I ever got it until now. I probably still don't actually get it, but I feel like I kind of start to get it. And um, yeah, that idea about seeing the old guy now that like the old guys I always used to think like, oh, they're annoyed at us and that that makes their day. You say, Dale. They're so happy to be like, Dale. It's like, they're like, yeah, somebody acknowledged me. Fuck yeah. I'm still here. Like, not dead yet. Because all like the other people are like, 
that old guy. You know what I mean? Like what you're saying, yeah, yeah. like like the guy in Carbondale, they're probably like, that guy's probably like, I wish somebody would say, like, what's up? Just this old guy here, and I want to talk too, you know? <laughs> they're all just like, all like, ah! Their masks, you know, yeah, they're yeah. all like gripped. Yeah. It's like, it's cool, I'm taking my distance. <laughs> Right. <laughs> COVID just threw everything out of whack, you know, because yeah, like yeah. the whole city's right. like over 80. So mm-hmm. people are gripped. It's not like it's like three people max in the shop and half right. the people here are young. So they're all just like, dude, this sucks. And then that I, I kind of like, oh, man, I kind of like it. It feels real safe. Like three people in the right. shop. It's like nice. Feel real. One of the things, as you alluded to, Dave, we've traveled a, a bunch of places over the years, and I've always been impressed with your ability to navigate any country, any language, even if you don't speak it at all and find (laughs) ways to communicate with people through just what seems to be just sheer persistence of not letting them off the hook or like just working through that discomfort of being awkward in front of someone else. Um, What's the, what's the secret for, for traveling and communicating with people around the world? That's like another thing I ponder over all the time. I think um, like I feel like super shy. And my growing up in the states, I was really shy. Like I've always felt really intimidated by like speaking up and saying stuff. I always felt like really insecure about it. I was like, oh man, they're gonna make fun of my voice. How to say it? Like I'm gonna sound stupid, or maybe I'll do it wrong, you know? And, and as soon as I first went overseas to Europe or any other country for that matter, it, it kind of like this this weird switch that clicked. I was like what's the worst that could happen like other than them not understanding you there is this bizarre like uh thing that like liberated me to just kind of be myself and go for it and i guess i didn't feel judged or i felt like they wouldn't even have a, a way of judging me because they probably wouldn't understand me they, they couldn't pick apart what i was saying you know it, it was about communicating it was like do you like china you remember i'm just like we need to we haven't eaten in like a month. We need to go to the restaurant. And they're like, you can't go to the restaurant. We're like, restaurant, taxi, now. Like, these two symbols should equate. Like, what we need, and we're fine with chicken and broccoli. These are, let's get this going on. You know, we need to be trying. We got the fish, you know. We like freaking on-site of that whole mission. But there was, I, have, I had no insecurity or, you know, like fear of being judged or anything. You know, it's just like totally like a like a fun game to play where it was like uh, what you'd see in the movies, like, and you wish you could try it out and you get to do it. But uh, I, I don't know. I guess, I guess it just has to be like losing inhibition and like not being inhibited and just, um, well, it was amazing to like, watch that, that scene that you referenced in China was so, I mean, it was like, just to like paint this more of a picture for people. What a crazy moment. All the Americans were sitting together watching you harangue. It seemed like you were haranguing this, like, uh, this restaurant owner and trying. I was just trying to speak Chinese. I, I was like, what's that? Everyone. We were embarrassed on your behalf because you were so relentless and communicating. But the, 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 this person finally understood what you were saying. And we had an amazing meal of fish and broccoli or whatever. The cop, it was all because I got that police officer yeah. involved who really helped us. <laughs> and he was the guy who was like the icebreaker because I couldn't pronounce it properly. And he was like, must have heard something in it and was like, he's saying chicken and broccoli and yeah. fish. 
And the shop owner was like, oh, he's just trying to save fish. Because I didn't understand the goddamn, you know, it's like, it's kind of like when you're just in there and you're like, fish, fur, fur, fur. And then people are like, sir, you need to leave. And you're just like, I'm not from here. And they're just like, dude, you just, it's like, I don't want to make fun of foreigners, but it's like everybody's foreigner for the first time, you know, yeah. like the first time you're in China. I remember it was like that in Japan. Like I was just in this, the, in the sushi place alone, just like, sima uh, sima, tekamaki, ichi tekamaki, and they're like, hi, and I was like, oh my god, I think hi means it worked, and it was, it was like, you know, you try over and over, and eventually, like, it works, and you're like, oh shit, the code, that's the code for that, and like, you get all the codes organized, and you're like, I can swap this code word. I don't, you remember in China how much we had to try and say ni hao and bu hao enough times just to figure But Yeah. I mean, because there's so, it's just, such a subtle difference in the way you say it. It could mean yeah. like three. And me, things. I didn't even think once that you guys were judging me. I was just like, these guys are starving. <laughs> we need food. We haven't eaten real food in like five weeks. I'm sure everybody's like hallucinating. Like, I was like, if we can get food, we'll be okay. Like, because I was like, I need food super bad. <laughs> it's like, that was a desperate moment. Yeah. If you were like, oh, man, I'm afraid to get this guy's attention. It's like also China where everybody's just like, party, wah, wah. And it's like, we're sure, that way. It's like we had to like yell it, you know? It's yeah. like, it's hard. It's well, hard to say. It, it was an amazing thing Italian. to behold. It was, it was an amazing thing to behold. I, I want to <laughs> just talk talk about some of the climbs you've been doing recently, too, because I don't want to let that go. Um, it seems like you're climbing well from my perspective. I don't know if you agree with that, but you did the well, Alley Hulk sit. Last fall, Thanks, man. making yeah, making progress on first round, first minute. Do you, do you think just being in one place has has helped your climbing? Take you know, gotten you to the next level, or why are wow. you are you climbing well for some other reason? So I feel like I was really hitting top stride there right after hypno. Like I, I was feeling really strong the the few seasons before where I was like switching sport climbing out of having whole bouldering years really advanced me, and also training like in the gym. Because the weather was so terrible in Colorado, if you don't remember, like uh, November, December were always just like a wash. I kind of like got forced into trying to train and all up in preparation to nap this year. Um, I felt really good coming into it. And just from the start, it was like every single thing that I thought wouldn't happen wrong went wrong. It was like the weather was shit, weather was shit, COVID, confinement, more shit weather, summer, you know, I injured my knee, like... I got bit by a dog, like all this shit happened, you know, where I, I just like, it just felt like as if more shit couldn't, it was like 40 degrees Celsius. I'm like, can't even think in 40 degrees Celsius. I'm trying to climb hard routes, you know, it's just, I felt like such a failure, Andrew. Like I really felt like I had it all and lost it all. And then um, all of that feeling of losing it all, just maybe try way harder and become like more like monk-esque and just like put the head down and try to like carry out the ritual and um i accomplished a few things which i really needed you know because they were for me like i needed to do something and, and i i did a few of them but i failed on a lot more and i still every day I, I have to wake up and convince myself that i'm not just a piece of shit and i'm failing at everything because they're super hard for me it's like i've chose all these anti-style routes to do which may seem like not a big deal to some people but I imagine like, you know, when you go to the gym and you try that one boulder, you're like, fuck that boulder. I'm never going to do that one. 
Well, who said that? And why? I can't wait till this set is gone so I don't have to look at this thing. Like, I'll never do this. Like, whether it's some high heel or some jump or I feel like all the projects I've had have equated to that. Like, they're all like these things that in the past I was like, I'll never do this. I never want to be forced to try. They were all like these daunting obstacles. And now I'm like, I can do these things. The weather sucks, you know, and I'm like, God, I can't believe I guess regress, you know, and then I'm like, and it's like this fog, you know, and I'm at, but I'm hanging out with these people that are incredibly strong. They're like three times stronger than the route and they do them. And I'm like, they make sense because they're like really, really strong. They're like 22 or some 24, whatever, a lot younger than you don't won't worry, you know, and they, they're sport climbers too. Like you're just getting back into the sport climbing things. So I had to really like, um, try to keep my head up this process. And and for me, not being connected to any of my friends, like uh, the only support network I've got is Elise and a couple other homies here. And, and it's hard to like believe in yourself that you're doing a good thing. And yeah, I accomplished like a hard grade, but like on the amount I did, I had a crazy good year for me in sport climbing, actually. Like I did nine A's, nine A plus, nine B. But, but for some reason, I won't let myself see it that way. I see it as like, I failed at La Capella. I failed at no pain, no gain. I didn't do my other project in the cave, like what I thought was 90 plus, like, fuck. And then I came here and I failed to do La Capella again in the month of December. But since it was fucking freezing, it was impossible to really try it. And then I'm like, okay, so I only really tried it like three times. So it's not a big deal. But in my mind, I'm like, dude, you failed at La Capella again. And I'm like, and then there's these really strong climbers here and they all climb everything really fast. I'm like, man, you should be climbing 9B in like three days. And I'm just like, that seems off, dude. Like you can't just get to that point where you're trying to all of a sudden think you're going to be doing, that's like doing eight C plus boulders in three days. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So it's like, this is tripping me out this whole first year of sport climbing and only sport climbing and through the whole year, like no, no break. I think, yeah, it's actually going better than I would, would, would let on to. Like in my mind, it's all, it's like a train wreck, you know, and it's not actually a train wreck. Like I'm close to doing like three nine B routes maybe and a nine A plus. And I make cinema about it. I can just make make drama. <laughs> yeah, so just to bring it back to where we started this conversation, it's interesting to hear you talk about your perception that your climbing is, has been mostly failure because yeah. in some ways that would suggest that it would be hard to continue the motivation that has been so enduring in a lot of ways. I, I don't know. I, I find that tension interesting that, we can think that we're doing so badly at climbing, even someone of your status. You know, these are feelings that I think every climber has had, actively yeah. has. And um, that, you know, whether we want to think of motivation as being this thing that's like positive or mm -hmm. comes from a place of just, yeah, positive stoke or something. But sometimes it can be, it could come from some other place too. Like there could be a sense of just wanting to improve. That's it right there. That underlying like desire to improve can be like really destructive or really beneficial sometimes. It depends on the moment you're having with it. Success really helps us gauge our improvement. And we have like a, a kind of like a culturally as well, like a, as a society, success lets us know that what we're doing somehow means all of a sudden that it's valid or something. But um, I think in the pursuit to evolve, and like you said, improve, 
we can say the word improve in a lot of different ways. Like you can try and be a better person. You can say, I want to improve at being a person or a human. Then you can say, I want to improve at being a rock climber, or I want to improve at sport climbing. It's hard to interpret exactly each connotation of improve that we're using. You know, the, the word can be so easily misunderstood in a sense because of its relativity to everything around it. And I feel like I feel like a lot of people probably aren't honest about their deeper feelings about you know failure with what they're doing and and. Um, their feelings of weakness mentally, like their feelings of, uh, it, it's almost like dealing with a f- element of fear. You know, it's kind of like confronting your fears. Like say you go to a therapist and you try to like work out these insecurities you might have, you know, you're like dealing with somebody to like try to figure out a path to solving, like how to not have these anxieties or fears bother you or whatever your problems are, right? You can like work on that. But as a climber, it's like you have your friends, you have the people closest to you, but if you yourself don't really know where you're at, it's hard to explain to people what's going on, you know? And it's hard to interpret yourself as a climber, I think, because we're, there's no real language sensation. There's a lot of feeling, you know? Sometimes you just get done with a day at the crag and you feel really defeated. And it's very hard to go to the bottom of that sensation and try and like verbalize it and put that on paper somehow. Like it's difficult to like gauge where you are in this kind of enormous universe of unknown, you know? So it seems like there's two personality types in the climbing world. There's, you know, I'm thinking of Kyra Condi's tattoo that she has on her leg where it says you suck, Mm -hmm. try harder versus the the person who talks about, I, yeah, I I think that you would fall on that that side of the, Mm -hmm. that side of the spectrum. And then there's this other side where it seems as though the motivation is much more, uplifting or positive or self-affirming in some way. And so I guess it's a a personality type question of Mm -hmm. which one is works for you individually, or if there's like something to be said, just of, you know, motivation that's driven by fear or shame or something like that of not wanting to, to suck. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I don't think it's, it's more like, um, it's like never, I never have this feeling like I suck or, it's more like I let myself down, you know, like I, I kind of give myself enough time and space to do something. And when I fail at it, I'm like, you need to learn something here. Like you're missing something. And this is the game I'm trying to play. And the game, it's like a crazy game because it shifts all the time. And sometimes we don't get into uh, trying to really like break down why we're not doing well. But I think the harder your objective is, the more it's just thrown into your face. And I guess that's where I'm at. It's it's almost like as if the more you improve with something, the quicker your like internal expectations adjust and then like flip around on the conscious self. And it's like this momentum you're gaining and it's actually called improving, yet your mind is like going faster than your body potentially and then your mind's like, "Dude, where are we? Body? Like, what the fuck?" <laughs> Why are you not like doing better? And then the body's like, dude, we need like to go train again. Like it's been six months. There's no training. Like, can you do 10 push-ups? Not really easily. Like, can you do the tra- all your old training? No shit. It's this whole, it's this, this like crazy juxtaposition of, of like mind over body synchronicity. Like it's very cool. It's fucked up. Huh? It's like, <laughs> One of those things that I'm not sure how to grasp, but like this year I've never gotten more 
bent out of shape on doing really good tries on hard routes. It's like starting the game over, basically. So as the evolution of rock climbing continues and I'm still playing the game, there's moments where I'm like, damn, I just started this game for the first time in my life. Not like I've done it for 25 years or helped like mold it, but like it's it's cool how reinventing rock climbing is and how like talk about if you want to be psyched. Like I, I don't even double take the psych. I'm super psyched. It's just that I need to like rest more and I need to like, I'm 39. I, I can't just like go on weird to like I'm 20 because man, like, ah, I get tired. I need to rest. And all of a sudden it's like a new sport and I'm just trying to keep up and I'm trying to like, you know, do shit I'd never even think of doing because I'm watching people do it. And then I'm trying to compare myself to them because they didn't even exist before. And I'm like, shit, dude, you should chill. Like, this is my day to day. It's like, I got to, you should think about how Alize feels. Alize has the same thing on La Rambla. She's going through that whole game. And then we got a bunch of other homies going through the same game. It's like, everybody's going, is in the game, you know, everybody's playing the game. They're just, you don't know where they're at and what level they're on and what world they're in. You know, if we can like do a video game analogy, what boss they're fighting. If you could do three routes this year, that would make your year. The tick list's like huge, unfortunately, because every time I get I try more things, it gets bigger, which is bad. I'm trying to like not try more things every single session, but uh, right now, as it stands, I'd love to do on the root scale, like take out La Capella. There's a new one in the La Capella sector, uh, Furia de Havali, which is also nine A plus or nine B. We're not sure yet. It's a new one. We'll see as like more people climb on it um i feel like i could do that as well so lacapay is something i've tried for a really long time it feels like now maybe not that much time compared to other climbs because it's real kind of condition dependent skin dependence i never really get as many sessions as i want but <laughs> are these in margalef uh yeah so no okay, yeah. these are in serana are, in, like, are uh, there in serana okay lacapay right. and furia de Havali are both uh-huh. in Serana and okay, they're in cool. the La Capella sector. And I'm just super invested in it. La Capella was like this 9B that I thought would suit me super well. I was like, oh, it's short. It's going to be awesome. Like it's built for me. It's my style. And I tried it and I was like, oh shit. It's like my pure anti-style. It's like real like board climbing, like really, really frontal and powerful and slippery. So for me, it would be a huge accomplishment to finish La Capella because it's actually a very big challenge. And then first round, wow, it feels possible. I would love to finish that off. That that this year, I, I feel like is more realistic than even La Capella, just because I can climb on it more frequently. There's no one move that kind of destroys my skin or something. I can always give it a, a proper try, but I still haven't gotten through the bottom half, which is first lay, which is another 9A+, plus, which is on the tick list, which I would love to do. But we've also had like a, a rough month of, conditions plus the month before with the snowstorm plus the month before where it was too cold and things were wet so it's like blah 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 get to right now if the next months go well uh those just those three routes alone i would be real happy to finish that off with but we're in preparation for going to switzerland in the fall this year in switzerland i really want to finish off some old projects of mine that are are currently known as different boulders but they were all old projects of mine back in the day in 2005 when i was there one is called Poison the Well, which was uh, climbed by Giuliano Cameroni, super beautiful wall embryone that I brushed off with Isaac Caldiero back in the day. And uh, kind of close-ish back then even. Like I, I was falling at the hard move and I could do it to the top from there. So 
I'm, I would love to go back to that. And then there's another one, Afira, which Jimmy Webb did the first ascent, which is like a low start to a boulder I opened called Sisyphus. And then after that, there's the oh, there's Off the Wagon, which the sit-start crouch was like my OG vision. Like when I first found that San Lerto zone, like it wasn't even the sit-start. It was actually like moving the wagon and doing the whole 45. If I can just like start doing sections of that downward and I could do that in my lifetime, be so psyched. But already the sit-start off that wagon, you know, that would be cool. I haven't even done Off the Wagon, but three, four years ago, so I felt kind of like could be close. So those are the boulders that I'm interested in doing in Switzerland, not plus the new projects, which there's way too many to even get into. There's like a ton of projects of old ones of mine that I'd like to finish and, and new ones that I want to finish brushing and all that stuff. But And if you go to Flat Anger, you're obviously yeah. going to do silence probably in a few tries. No, nah, nah. actually silence intimidates me a lot more than change. I really want to try change. I was okay. super inspired by Stefano Gisalfi's video. I really liked... Uh, I really enjoyed the process of his um, attempts on it and seeing and learning more about the route. And it got me super interested in it. And now, now I'm really excited to go try that, even though it looks really long. But uh, there's one route there that I really always wanted to do since the first time I went. It's called Iron Curtain, which not a lot of people get on. And it's this 9B from Adamandra that looks like, like a biography, but like a black streak. It's like this sick gray black streak. And it, it's apparently like a 7a plus route kind of thing to like a 8b ish boulder to like 8c plus ish route uh, outro so i don't know i'm hoping that flat tanger could be well and silence i mean honestly like uh it looks super super sick but i remember seeing the line and it's quite complicated i i'd have to start with little batter the 9a which goes through all the cracks which is on my list but it's it's, it's a 9A that's kind of tough. And then move kind of falls into the equation because it's there. And then silence is kind of like a thing that comes near those. But man, uh, there's the other one uh, that, what's his name? Adu, uh, yeah, Adu Marin put up. The Valhalla, I think it's called. Valhalla Rising or something? What is it called? Oh, I'm forgetting. It's the extension to uh, Odin's Eye. Hmm. Maybe 9A plus looks absolutely incredible. Um, Have you been there before? Yeah, yeah. I went with Daniel yeah. and Ethan, and I climbed uh, Thor's Hammer right. and The Illusionist and Eye of Odin. So, like, that was like one, it's like 9A. Plus. We thought it was 9A. Plus. I don't know. Like, people call it 9A now, but it seems. It's kind of like a bigger hard. version of Rumney. Yeah, it's like Rumney, like what times. Rumney wishes it could be. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it's like Rumney, like, times a million. It's incredible, <laughs> man. It's like this sculpted, like, grand, like, sh- yeah, metamorphic, nice, like, the holds are are seemingly like thin enough that they would all break, but they're bullet like these tiny little crimp wafer things, and they're just iron. It's amazing. Like that must be a lot of metal on the rock or something, but it won't break. It's a very high quality, and there's some the erosion of it super strange between the wind and the water. It's uh, it still has friction, so it's not like this kind of slippery granite. It's just really tacky. So when it is sticky, it has friction on like most limestone. I don't know. After spending so much years, so many years, like climbing on granite boulders, I think that climbing on granite roots suits me a lot more than limestone routes. So, but yeah, uh, for nine C, not silence. Really want to check out that one Magos did, and I know I'm not really at the nine C point yet, but that route looks amazing. The bibliography, wow, that's I'll, I'll be super stoked. 
like I want to try that route. That's something I would like to do in my lifetime. Even though I have to spend 10, 20 years to to do it. And it's like I'm on my deathbed and then I send. He's so sick. Bibliography. It's like the, the new school biography. But, you know, I got to do a lot of boulder problems, too. I can't just root climb. So it's not like I could just be trying to all year bibliography. But it seems amazing. Yeah, that that's on the list, too. I want to go see what that's about. Not to try and, like, jump in the deep end, just to, like, see if I could do the moves. It'd be so cool. That would give me some hope. I've never really explored boulder, uh, um, root climbing like bouldering. You know, I've spent all these years trying hard boulders over and over and over and opening them. And there's projects that are probably all, like, 9A boulders. Most of them are for sure around there. But roots, I've never really, like, gotten to play on high-end roots like that actually never been up a 90 plus never tried one i want to try a perfecta mundo here in a couple in the next couple weeks and see see what it's like how would you feel if the run out just disappeared one day would you gnash your teeth and weep pull your hair out and cry into the night or would you simply shrug your shoulders and think meh Another pair of washed-up climbers silenced in the abysmal maw of the internet. Well, if you're in the former group, and maybe even in the latter, then consider supporting the runout by going to patreon.com slash runoutpodcast and signing up to be a runout rope gun. In addition to keeping the normal spray coming, the runout rope guns are treated to scintillating bonus content, like the recent Celebrity Deathmatch episode, where the runout runs down the history of Hollywood's toe-dipping and climbing, who's legit and who's just posing for TMZ. So get on board with the lifestyle choice that is the runout and go to patreon.com slash runoutpodcast today. On today's final bit, we bring you Sean Villanueva O'Driscoll, a climber so pure of heart and intention that music flows from his inner being like water from a thirst-quenching cool mountain spring. Here, Sean gives us a tune from his Irish tin whistle, and if you listen carefully, you will in fact hear a chorus of mountain meadow fairies singing along. All right, so this is my little whistle. I also have a big whistle, but I, I'm not going to play that. I, I bring this everywhere on every climb that, that I go. It's become kind of part of my climbing gear. And um, yeah, it's a little Irish uh, tin whistle. On the Traverse, I played it on every summit, you know, and the BV, at the BV too, you know, whenever I had some time or I, I had the, the call to play a little tune, I would just pick it up and it just helped me kind of relax and kind of connect to the moment and enjoy the moment. So yeah, here's my little... Whistle, I'll, I'll play a, a tune called uh, the Morrison Jig. So here we go. Thank you.
You've just completed another episode of The Runout, a podcast from the sharp end of climbing. I'm Andrew Bisharat, and I run Evening Sends, the only climbing website on the internet. And I'm Chris Calouse, host of the Enormacast, the only other climbing podcast. Please leave a review of our show on iTunes, share an episode with your friends, and follow us on social media. We should be fairly easy to find. Drop us a line, let us know what you think. My email is andrew at runoutpodcast.com. And my email is chris at runoutpodcast.com. And also, please support our show. Go to patreon.com slash runoutpodcast and become a rope gun today. <laughs>